Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. We are on episode 105. I am Josh Roop. With me, my co-host, as always, Scott Larson. And Scott, there has been nuts. So many reveals. Yeah. So many releases. Yeah. If you're going to be buying Pulp Fiction, that seems like the new hot, the hotness right now. Where are you going to be getting yours from? You know, I would call Zach and Nicola flipping out pinball, and I would definitely see if I can get the Bad Mother Flipper Edition because, my gosh, that's amazing amazing and that topper is great you know speaking of the bad mother flipper we've got two bad mother flippers with us today we've got josh sharp which everyone knows you know the overlord the king whatever you want to call him he he did the called shot right (laughs) yes something like that (laughs) and then we have a very special guest a man that has been in the industry for 30 plus years with amazing titles like indiana jones pinball venture fishtails taxi and it's done numerous call-outs. We have Mark Ritchie with us. How are you doing, Mark? Good. How are you guys? Doing great. And how are you doing, Josh? Fantastic, boys. Better now that your computer's yeah. working? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to pretend like this wasn't supposed to start 20 minutes ago. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, hey, I'm glad we're all here. I'm glad we were able to figure out the tef- technical difficulties and get this underway. But, Mark... This is amazing. The last game you worked on besides for Capcom with, with Kingpin was uh, Indiana Jones Pinball Adventure. So what what brought you back into the realm of pinball? Uh, these guys here at Raw Thrills, believe it or not. I had all but kind of given up on the thought of getting back into it, not wanting to go back to work for Stern or any of the big companies. I just, that prospect just would love the design, but not under that roof. I don't know if that's, you know, I could have done that a couple of times, but passed on it. And yeah. uh, I'm super glad I did because I feel like this is the best group I could have possibly ever been blessed to work with. Definitely. So, I'm a lucky guy. Well, in my understanding, it sounds like there's a lot of the old school Bally William guys still there with raw thrills and with, uh, with play mechanics and stuff, right? Yeah, there's a few of us. There's a few of us. George and I go back. George Petro, president of uh, Play Mechanics and uh, pinball programmer. Nice. <laughs> Who, uh, you know, I was pretty skeptical when we started this for that reason, because George is the president here and he's got lots of other stuff to do. And it's really been, um, I don't know how to put it, I guess a surrealistic kind of ride. Uh, it's been a while. Obviously, we've been on this thing for five years. So uh, take that in consideration with the timing. I mean, we primarily make arcade games. So pinball was kind of a, kind of a journey for us. So uh, even though we knew how to do it, there were all kinds of new hurdles and just, it was, it was a ride. (laughs) Well, so that brings up, I mean, yes, you're, you're a company that is involved in all sorts of entertainment, home entertainment, but, and you're known for the remakes. I mean, the remakes have been, or at least uh, Chicago Game Company is known for the remakes and being able to make these classic games. However, this is really branching into an original title that they're helping out with. And so it's a, it's a partnership. So tell me about how that came about. Interesting story. Um, I had reached out to Doug to try to acquire a few parts, basic things, flippers, bumpers. We had, at that point, decided we were going to go ahead and start making a Whitewood, creating the game. This is down the track. I mean, the story starts earlier than that. But regarding Doug and Chicago Gaming, 
Um, I actually just went over there one day and said, hey, can I get some stuff from you? And in fact, I have the receipt somewhere here for, <laughs> for the bill, for the cabinet and for all the basic stuff you needed, you know, to get a game fired up. And um, it's kind of funny. Um, Doug was, he sniffed something. And eventually he says, I think I know what you guys are working on. I got a pretty good idea. I know what it is. And, and, and that's a George, kind of a George story. I was not privy to that, but George told me about it. Um, so yeah, he, he figured out what we were doing and got interested. And all of a sudden we started getting more support from Doug, a little bit more support. Pretty soon we had a hardware system. Pretty soon we had, well, everything. And, um, you know, it was a process, but, but, but we didn't, we never, I certainly never said, Hey, Doug, want to make a game with us? You know, it, it didn't happen that way. Um, he sort of got involved on his own through George and, um, before I knew it, uh, Eugene and, and uh, George had a talk with him, and we had a partnership. So I wasn't really involved in it directly, you know. So, but that's what I know about it. Well, Pulp, Pulp Fiction is an iconic uh, movie that is really genre changing. Uh, you could you could definitely say that uh, Hollywood tilted a little bit when Pulp Fiction came out, um, but it's also thirty years old. So. How did the process of deciding to make a Pulp Fiction game or at least knowing the Pulp Fiction license was up for a game? How did that happen? Josh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I believe this project started out as a video game. Yeah, I think we we went to them for that. And then it's they they pitched us on wanting on Quentin wanting to get a pinball machine made. Right. And then it was sort of in our court. If yeah. we if we I didn't even know about this project back then, but if. George and you guys over there in your building wanted to do something and yeah. uh, you guys took it on. I think Scott and George were talking about a side scroller, very similar to, I guess, NARC. I, I believe that was yeah. the original plan for that game. And at some point, I think Eugene said, why don't you guys make a pinball, you know? And, and that's kind of how we ended up shifting from that to the pinball. And in my understanding too is Quentin had he the only real direction he wanted was old school, right? He didn't want LCDs, he didn't want all this fancy stuff, and even some like getting a hold of him was old school. You had to send papers in the mail, <laughs> telegraph. Oh my gosh, Funny yeah. Express. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was such a, a long process. So many times. I mean, it would have been okay if it happened once, but it happened like multiple times. And where we were just sitting, you know, okay, what's the next step? We've sent approval, you know, we've sent stuff in for approval. Wait, 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 wait. Six weeks later. Oh, yeah. Okay, fine. Go ahead. You know, um, early on, it was that way. And it's that way now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, regarding approvals and things like that, they're just really slow to react. I'm not sure why, you know, maybe the Weinstein thing had something to do with that early on because that was going on. So, you know, um, Hollywood's a different world, man. Different yeah, world. Definitely. They definitely dance to their own music. And I can't play that song ever. <laughs> but, um, you know, um, kind of an interesting uh, side story here. It, you know, I had submitted, my first crack was a wide body. So I had way more in the game originally. And, he basically 
just peed all over it. (laughs) I don't want that. Get that out of here. Way too much. No ramps, no displays. Here's what I want. And I started getting, you know, emails with pictures of Dolly Parton and Captain Fantastic, Strikes and Spares, all these old Valley games, you know, and it became real clear what he wanted very quickly. So we, um, we kind of, we wanted to make him happy. I mean, he's the guy, he's got to be happy or we're not going anywhere or doing anything with anybody. So that was the, that was kind of the tact we took with it. And, and from there we, you know, we, um, we, <laughs> we made an eighties game. <laughs> so he didn't want your ramps or displays. I know that this is traditionally, it's a single level, but you, it has stuff in it that you wouldn't typically see in a single level, like a, you know, the vertical up kicker that goes to the ball lock behind. He hasn't noticed it yet. He hasn't noticed. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to say in the subway. I didn't know. If- oh, no, no, no subway. Nothing under there. Yeah, we, we, we hit the cool stuff, but we kept it. We tried to keep it. That, that, it's impressive, though, because I think, like it said, it, it, I'm going to reference the straight down the middle feature here and there, but it's a great collaboration of, it was a 90s movie, but they're dressed up like they're from the 70s. So there's a lot of mixture of, modern you know that 90s and 70s and i feel like that's interpreted in this game very very well of like that you can't really put an error on this game right no and so i don't know just looking at this was was it difficult trying to make something that was going to appease him i guess not really not on my end i'm i kind of had a good vision of stuff early on like the briefcase and the characters and things those things came really quickly um, the pawn shop probably came right after that. And then I started naming the features before I actually had them. So I kind of had a really good idea of having these, these, just these different paths that didn't know what I was going to do with them, but laid them into the game and thought this can be cool at some point, you know, um, a lot of times games go that way for me. Um, I don't always have a whole idea. I'll have a piece of it and I'll start with that. And then, that's kind of how the play field evolved. Um, so I, I think very visually and I think I look at, if I look at a license, I'm looking for artifacts. I'm looking for things that people are going to remember that I can mechanically, you know, make happen in the game. Obviously everybody does that. I'm sure. But you know, this was the briefcase was automatic. I, originally I wanted to have the balls actually load into the case so as the case rotated, the original plan was that the balls would drop out of the bottom of it. But that became a, a very quickly a mechanical nightmare. So we we abandoned that. Um, so I think what we ended up with was much better, much more reliable. So you have to think about reliability. You can't throw a bunch of crap in a game and expect it to work, you know, with a horrible design behind it. So, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a process, you know. So walk through the cabinet because the cabinet, uh, this is where you guys nailed that vintage effect is because the cabinet doesn't look like a modern cabinet. It doesn't feel like a modern cabinet. Even in the back lot, the back glass, does that lift off or does that fold down? It folds and it it can also be detached from the cabinet, but it actually has hinges directly above the speaker board. Okay. Kind of like the old old days where you remember we had hinges on the necks of games. Yeah. Valley did it. I know Valley did it. And you could just fold the back box down. Um, but yes, it's 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 modern as far as that goes. Um, but the cabinet, 
you know, you're, I'm, I guess you're alluding to the coin door and some of the things that are just everything, everything looks non-modern. It, it, even the cabinet says, this is not a modern game. Like, right. is it, a, is it like a two-tone paint too? Like the old school? Yeah. Almost looks like there's over, like, you know, a simulated overspray. We purposely designed the cabinet to look like it had been, like it was a stenciled cabinet from, from the era. Because in the old days, they would run two or three stencils to do the designs on the outside of the cabinets. No decals. This is way before decals. Um, so we basically mimicked that look for that. That was Scott's uh, Scott's deal. He did a great job with that because I have people going, hey, man, did you guys stencil this? <laughs> yeah, I got the same stuff, you know, and it's like, wow. You know, we look at it every day. So when you see people saying stuff like that, it's just it's awesome. I mean, that's that's exactly the effect we wanted. Um, the coin door actually came out a little bit later when we started going down the retro road. We're like, hey, let's go all the way. You know, we can't like we can't put a half coin door on this thing and expect it to look like a game out of the 80s or 90s. You know, so that came from uh, George would push that pretty hard. He was on on that program. And then the integrated start button we took basically right off a of gallery machine, you know. Um, so a lot of it was inspired, again, by just the general look of games from that era. And it definitely hits the mark. I think the other thing, too, is it's impressive looking at what price point this came in at and how custom this is. I mean, this is just not a cookie cutter off the line. And and you guys are obviously hit a, an amazing mark because it sounds like every everywhere I'm talking to, the LE is, is sold out unless if you you might have to dig in some corners right now, but it seems like all the main, major, 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 uh, major distributors have sold their bad mother flippers. So, which is comes with that amazing topper. You got to tell me about that topper. How, who came up with that and how did it come about? I was a couple of people. It's mostly me. I had the vision in the beginning and then um, Scott got involved with me on that pretty early and we shot it over to Doug and said, hey, here's the idea. And Doug went, <laughs> it's, it's hard to, uh, Doug went nuts with that thing. He, he went and he did it right. And he took an idea and basically ran with it, did all the engineering, did all of the, you know, um, all of the trials with the motors and everything he went through to get that thing to where it is today. It was just, I could write a book about that, you know, but Doug is, Doug is a passionate dude, man. He, he was a huge part of this thing. I think we couldn't have pulled this off without him. There's no way. Um, we certainly couldn't have pulled off a game that looks like this with yeah, the yeah. the stuff that that CG the CGC side was able to bring to the table was yeah. equally important to the game itself was the the package and yeah the, they yeah, they were instrumental in uh, in pulling that through to the finish. But, you know, he would call me uh, on Sunday evenings and go, hey, what do you think about this? I'm, you know, I'm going to try this movement. I'm going to try these bearings, you know. I'm like, yeah, great. Cool. When can we see it? <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot of when can we see it, but it was worth it. You know, I mean, he does things in a way that um, he has quality in his mind before he does anything. Yes. Which is, that's, that's a huge thing. Yep. Even if it takes him longer, it, I think in the end it's completely worth it, you know. I agree. It's that three-legged stool of good, fast, cheap, and uh, Doug. Doug does good, and he does cheap, so yeah. it's not fast. And I, I couldn't think of two out of the the two out of those three things I would pick would be the two that 
that Doug picks. Yeah. Not to go, not to say it's not frustrating to deal with the fast side, but like, you know, and, and I've talked with Mark about this over the years of this thing being developed, but you know, the game is going to live for 10, 20, 30, 40 years out there. And all of the trials and tribulations of getting to this point and having a game that is of this quality and looks like this will be worth it for long after Mark and I are gone. Yeah. Well, this is going to fit really well with, I would say, a lot of people's game rooms where they're trying to have something that's a little more of, I, I, I guess, for uh, for adults, not not a kid's game room. You know, there's there's no bounce there's no bounce house in the uh, where you're putting this. But uh, how was that z- zoning in on that? I mean, it's a very R-rated title. And uh, and trying to trying to find okay here's the market for you. Were you concerned that hey there's there's a lot of stuff in here that would not go into some families' homes? Absolutely, um, which is why we bleep, we have a version of audio that bleeps basically every square in the game, except so. for Josh's house apparently. Well, yeah, that was early. <laughs> Work in progress. Work in progress. <laughs> we actually had it happen again last week, but I won't talk about it. <laughs> Found another one. <laughs> Not as bad, though. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, absolutely, I think about stuff like that. Um, brings to mind a story, uh, a guy years ago, when I had finished Fish Tales, a guy from the South, I got a phone call at that time, we had a, woman that handled all the um, incoming calls. She was a receptionist and she pages, she's paging me. There's a man on the phone to talk to you. He's from Georgia. And I'm like, okay. So I get on the phone with this guy. He's going, Hey, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of offended with the uh, accents that you guys put on that game on a couple <laughs> of them characters. And I don't know. I was flabbergasted when I heard that, you know, it, it kind of left a mark on me, like, I guess kind of after that. And, I just ended up telling the guy, hey, I don't know how I said this, but I go, hey, we pick on e- everyone equally. You know, I haven't gotten a call from the guy in Wisconsin yet. So <laughs> <laughs> anyway, this crazy side story. Um, yeah, but yeah, I, I, it may, does make me nervous. I mean, um, I think some people are going to pass on it possibly for that reason. I mean, that, that is a risk. There's no question. It's not even the swearing that concerns me. It's it's the well, you've got the gimp as the yeah. drop targets. <laughs> <laughs> My kids think that's just a Halloween costume. It is a Halloween costume. Big deal. Right. Yeah. What, Josh? You don't have one of those outfits? No, I do not. You sure. <laughs> maybe that's why. Maybe that's why they think it is a Halloween costume at yeah, the exactly. sharp home. Because... Right. Right. Yeah, it's Josh's house. Yeah. I don't even think Pulp Fiction is the worst game in my basement. I'm definitely not. There's not. There's no Dad of the Year awards in my house. Yeah. <laughs> you somehow ended up with the Zingy Bingy prototype in your house. <laughs> That's the only thing I'm missing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so Mark, walk us through the game. So um, I step up to it. What am I going to do? I'm going to let Josh take that. Josh, <laughs> master. Um, you know, I play it a certain way, and Josh has alluded to this already. You can play that game any way you want. The features are not dependent on one another per se. So you can have fun with one of those features endlessly. I can tell you what I would do, okay? I'll walk through it my style. Okay. 
First thing I'm going to do is I'm going to try to spot the skill shot in the upper, in the center hole, up on top of the center saucer. Blue, blue arrow in the center, max points, right? Spot a character at that point. Ball kicks out. Now I'm in the bumpers. Now while I'm in the bumpers, I'm going to try to get big kahuna lit. First thing, because that is a play field multiplier. When I get both of those targets lit, I can now shoot the magnet on the lower right side and jack my play field multiplier, which I'm going to want to do right away. Um, after that, I'm going to start shooting for multi-ball, either, either in the pawn shop immediately or the briefcase, which is three drop targets down. Both are three drop targets down, although I think I think briefca uh, briefcase might be a little bit tougher only because of the distance. Uh, but I think in any case, uh, I, I – when I play that game, I get multi-ball no less than five times in one play. So mm. yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. I'm going to go for all the bonus points and payoffs I can. I mean, it's really that simple. Um, and you can do that either with the briefcase or the pawn shop. I'm sure Josh has a way different strategy because he kicks my ass every time we play it. So. Not really. I mean, I think, you know, to your point, what you touched on first, the kahuna bonus is obviously a really big deal. So yeah. I will usually, you know, work towards those multi-balls, but then not start them until I can get my multiplier up. Yep. And outside of that, it's sort of the game falls into the, uh, like the mode shot, for example, on the right is also the collect a character shot. So if I don't hit the saucer on the top, it means my target is still up. So that kind of opens up the single ball modes for me. So it's sort of like it's situational where, you know, I missed the top. So it's like, all right, I'm going to go after this target because the single ball scoring modes have the potential to score even greater than any of the multi balls if you get a hold of it. And then you can collect those points again at the end of those modes. So it really is, you know, it, it's uh, I haven't I haven't been bashful about being a fan of, of Lyman and his work and the risk reward that he's put in his games, certainly in the the tail end of his career. But it's it's definitely built to be that where anywhere you want to go, if you execute your points will come. And if you don't, you should be close to something else that you are advancing as you do things. I do think, you know, it's it's cool for me. This game seems older than Fishtails and Indy Jones, but we somehow have both of those multiballs in this game. We sort of have that front Indy Jones multiball, which, you know, Indy's lacking the, the Fishtails deeper lock shot. And, uh, you know, this game has both. So, it, you know, to have two different three-ball locking mechanisms on a retro vintage game is really cool. You know, we can lock four balls before we have to start kicking them out and stuff. So it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And then just, you know, I've always believed that, you know, the Williams games were always that perfect, perfect level of charm difficult i've you know stuff that i've talked about forever and the one thing that that those games always lacked were you know these mini wizard modes that have developed over the last 20 years that those 90s games didn't have they had 
eternal life. You know, by the time you got to Indy, Indy Jones, you know, they had lost in the zone. They had tore the mansion. But there weren't these midway points that were explored to like the level of depth that modern games do have now. And our game has that. So, you know, if this game did come out 30 years ago, you know, a a lot of the game would have been the same, but it would have been been missing that depth that we have for, you know, it has a a taxi rule regarding the characters that are like picking up your passengers in taxi. But then there's a wizard mode at the end of that versus in taxi, you get your jackpot, you're back to your game. So I think sort of just paying attention to, and I think I mentioned it in the Zach video, but like we are not selling a game to that audience of 30 years ago, right? Like we are selling this game to a modern audience. So it was important for me on the rules side to have modern rules in a game that are equivalent to other machines, just hopefully less confusing if we did it right, which I think we did because we were, we had to, because we couldn't rely on an L. You know, I, I do feel, you know, the tail end of the DMD era into the LCD era, you, it was, it really serves as a crutch to be able to, there's nothing worse. And I have joked about this with Lyman over the past, but you know, when, when you reach the LCD era, it's like, oh, well, we can do whatever we want because then we can just throw some stuff up on the screen and pl- people will figure it out. And the real trick and the, the really hard part, and Lord knows I set Mark uh, hundreds of bad rule suggestions before we landed on stuff that was far too confusing. And and we always had to harken back to like, how do we explain this knowing that we have alphanumeric displays and inserts and sound and speech? And, you know, at some point you, you go from like, oh, da- damn, I wish we could do this to em- sort of embracing the limitations that the system has because it it makes you put on your problem solving hat and it's like i have this cool rule idea can we make this work with the limitations we have and having some rgb inserts allowed us to create some depth of of rules because you now know you you had a chance to do something more than one time you could do it at different color levels that would raise the value through the story that you're telling so i think we tried to to exploit that as much as we could to make the gameplay as modern as possible. Man, that was really long way. I feel like my dad's kid. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. It's, it's okay. It's okay. That, that's what we said. Uh, you know, therapy, you, therapy in an hour. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Um, okay. So rule sets, you obviously take uh, some rule sets as an inspiration piece for, for any game. Right. And so what are the games that you drew inspiration from in creating this rule set for this it was really you know a lot of it was paying homage to mark you know i think seeing and by the time i was involved like it was already this single level game so you know the first image i got from from mark had sort of the five characters in the center so you know i immediately like started focusing on like the, the taxi rule and collecting characters and then just trying to find a way to extend, like, how do we make this a modern rule version of a classic rule? So it was a lot of, of that. You know, there's other modes, like the uh, one of the mini wizard modes, the shot is 
uh, it's there's one shot lit on the play field and you can hit it as many times as you want, which kind of calls back to the the super jackpot stage for Indiana Jones and Fishtails, where you've made it to this event and you can just start going to town and it's a really special moment. So, you know, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff from Mark's previous games and just a lot of stuff like, like really base. I'm not a huge fan of colored arrow modes in terms of, of that being a, what distinguishes one mode from another. So, you know, trying to highlight different areas of the play field. You know, I'm a huge Larry. Larry DeMar to me is like the goat of, uh, of really transitioning from classic to modern. Modern pinball would not be what it is today without Larry. And, you know, one of my favorite games that he did was World Cup Soccer. So, you know, the ultra modes that he has on those games that suddenly increase the scoring for very common pinball items like jet bumpers and spinners and in that game ramps and the goalie and whatever, you know, tying that into, you know, the role scene modes are pretty much a version of that where it's not just super jets, but you're actually dancing out the scene to uh, through that mode through the jets, which is where the dance floor is on the game. So trying to stick to the story, trying to do things that, players, you know, after playing a couple times will identify that like, you know, this mode is the the jet bumper mode and this mode is focuses on the spinners. And then having that risk reward for the the tournament players built in to to be able to execute and get a good payoff. Is there any uh other you, you talked a little about Easter eggs with with previous games. I know like in Indiana Jones you can get to the fish of tails or to the WB frog if you go the right cart path is there anything like that in this game as well i think uh i don't think we score anything but there's definitely a special call out if you're if you get a you cheat dr jones style uh ball into the pawn shop while the pawn shop is locked nice outside of that i don't think we went to you know we i mean every decision we made really tried to to focus on the vibe that we were explicitly trying to go for with the game that like things like that are cute, but it kind of just didn't fit within this game. Yeah. So not really. I know that uh, like the, one of the rules, the drive fast rule has you building up the speed of your car faster and faster. And there is an Easter egg that the miles per hour you have to hit to light your extra ball is 146 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. which is from high speeds back less, okay. which is how fast Steve was going during uh, his adventures. Yeah. So what made you guys land on the five characters, the uh, Samuel Jackson, John Travolta, uh, Uma Thurman, Quentin Tarantino, and Mr. Wolf. I can't remember his name, but I mean, Bruce Willis is a pretty big part of the story. Uh. <laughs> well, why wasn't he one of the modes versus I, Quentin's obviously it's his game. It sounds like he wanted this made. So I, I don't blame you for, for putting him there, but just, just unique that you picked Quentin's character and Mr. Wolf's versus uh, made the other two. Well, originally we had, we had Jules, we had Vincent, we had Butch, we had Marcellus, we had Mia and we had Mr. Wolf originally when we submitted for approval we were asked to remove both Butch and <laughs> which was also equally devastating because, yeah, I agree. I mean, what the question is, why is Quentin on the play field? Well, it's a licensing thing, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about it. Okay. 
Yeah, easy enough. That's what they wanted, and that's what we gave them because mm-hmm. we believed in this game, and we believed that the theme would carry it pretty far, and that you know if, the, if they wanted that, okay, what the you know. We, so we had fun with Quentin in the game. Anyway, yeah. I think I think it turned out great. I mean, I don't hate it anymore. <laughs> I wasn't all about it in the beginning, but you know, you you evolve, you adjust, and you keep going. And then also, originally the back glass was supposed to be the iconic um pulp fiction poster but then quentin had kind of pushed against back that it did did was it originally going to be like realistic art or was it always this kind of comic book style art that you guys have um it you know that we never got that far with it but i think we were kind of going to do um i don't think we would have done the comic book thing if we hadn't been directed to do so i think scott had a different plan for it um i don't recall exactly what if we had carved a style in or anything, because what we were giving them were just concept sketches basically at the time. So we weren't really hard line on how the art was going to look at that point. Um, we, we basically got most of that direction from QT himself. So, you know, like the whole comment about, you know, um, yeah, you guys got to do hand-drawn art. And, and by the way, if you don't have an artist, I have a guy. And Scott heard that, man. It's like, no, we have a guy. <laughs> so, so it kind of evolved into that. Originally, you know, I'm looking at old stuff right now, and a lot of it is photorealistic, but it's, again, it's concept art. So it's, there's nothing really finished that you could make a, you know, a clear decision on what the direction was at that time. Gotcha. We were kind of floating, kind of, well, is this going to work? Is that going to work? What do you think about this? What do you think about that? I mean, it was back and forth a lot of back and forth with george and i and uh, scott at first on on how the thing should look um so so we we sort of i don't know it's hard to say a lot of paste up stuff you know and the concept sketches and just to sort of try to get a direction because i would say we really didn't have an art direction at that point you know what was the most surprising thing that happened in the game that you that turned out way better than you thought for sure, uh, the magnet shot. When George got a hold of that thing and got his programming fingers on it and had it throwing the ball all over the play field, it'll grab the ball and then it'll whip it. You don't know where it's going to go. Sometimes it finishes shots for you. Sometimes it'll lock the ball. Sometimes it'll go up straight up the spinner lane. I mean, that was probably the biggest surprise, surprise cool moment for me. Um, but I think also when I saw the briefcase work for the first time, that was pretty exciting. So those two things, I think, were probably the biggest. Uh, what should I say? How should I describe that? I'll be nice. Uh, very exciting. How's that? I gotta say, and I love the briefcase too, and and the way that it it, it mimics the movie, right? Like you, yeah. no one knows who's in the, no one knows what's in the briefcase. Who's in the briefcase? What's a wizard? Yeah. <laughs> There's a theory out there. It's supposedly the diamonds from Reservoir Dogs that. Uh, <laughs> That Mr. Pink yeah, got away with the diamonds. I've heard the uh, Marcellus's soul is in there, which explains the Band-Aid at the back of his neck. Okay. You heard that one? I mm. haven't. That's the one that I heard. His soul was stolen, the Band-Aid was put on, and the soul ended up in the briefcase. Huh. Yeah. That's I mean, a good one, know. too. <laughs> as good as anything, right? Yeah. As, as much as you can speculate, that's as good <laughs> as it's going to get. <laughs> so 
did you enjoy this process? I mean, you've been out of pinball for almost 20 years now. Was it just like coming back to home? Was it like riding a bike? How was it? Pretty much. Yeah. I, I loved it. I, it's, this is a, it was a dream come true for me. I mean, you know, I kind of washed my hands of pinball. thought, well, maybe I'll do it again sometime on my own time. I didn't think these guys would ever do this. It came as a complete surprise. And, you know, I think somebody asked me, like, like I don't know who it was, but, you know, uh, how did you ever, how did you convince them to, to make that game? And I go, they convinced me. I didn't, it was the other way around. George hit me up. Hey, you want to do a pinball? I went, uh, no. I mean, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> I never said no. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's awesome to be, to be doing this again. It's something I know how to do, so. And then I guess the other question is, if you if you can talk about it or whatnot, um, what what made you exit pinball? Because originally you were working for Williams. I don't know if I've ever heard the story of you going from Williams to Capcom and then kind of exiting. Uh, what, what is the question? <laughs> your, your Williams exit to Capcom, Mark. Tell us all about how that went down. Oh, that worked. Yeah, that was fine. Um, I, 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 I majorly pissed off Neil McCastro. <laughs> He talks about it. What's that? Um, what is that public that uh, video, Josh? Uh, he, Which he, one? He rants about it on the video at the end. Oh, is it uh, the, the Pinball Two Thousand documentary or no? No, no, no. The uh, God, I can't remember now. It was that one dude that did like a whole history on video games. And, oh, uh, it's the Insert Coin documentary. That's it. Yeah, Neil just goes off on a rampage about some dude who, who <laughs> ripped him off, stole stuff, and you know he went after him, <laughs> nailed him in court. I was that guy. Wow. Nice. But I didn't get nailed in court. None of that happened. He, he just, he harassed us endlessly. Hmm. But we made games, you know, and um, the reason I left Williams was basically that guy. I, I, I never liked him. Um, he was, I just had a hard time. My thought was, why should I be putting money in this guy's pocket? He's already got enough. He doesn't like anything I do. I mean, I made the greatest game of my career. And he was very like, eh, no big deal, you know? Yeah. And I just, I, I guess I, I guess I was just really pissed off, <laughs> you know? And I left there and I thought, the heck with this. Next thing it comes along, I'm gone. Well, something came along very, very quickly after that, so. And then how how was Capcom? Like, was it enjoyable when when it went, I, I can't remember if, didn't they claim bankruptcy? Run. Yeah, not many. It was, um. It was very pressuresome. Um, it was like stepping out of the frying pan into the into the into the kettle in a lot of ways because we had nothing. We basically built that place up from scratch. They had absolutely nothing, and we had a couple of sharp people there that were able to put stuff together relatively quickly. A hardware system, and then, you know that that's always a huge battle. Um, so that was our first step. We got that done. I think in year one. At the end of the year, we had something that was playable. And I think the first thing we did was we tested the hardware on a redemption game because none of us could make pinball according to our agreements with Williams Electronics. So you had to wait a year before you could actually engage in the design of a competitive product, right? Yeah. But we were all working on redemption games, which <laughs> wasn't a pinball machine, so it wasn't competitive, you know, and... Basically, that's where we tested the pinball hardware. And from there, we, you know, uh, things things matured and moved on, and we were able to start making games. And 
I had other guys in there. Greg Kamek was there. Uh, Brian Hansen, Python, of course, which was, that was a complete crazy. That's, that's a whole story. I could <laughs> for another time because it's just, it's too long. So how did you, how did you narrow down which moments of the game you're going to focus on? Because I mean, you have the, the Royale with cheese on there and you have the, the pawn shop and you obviously have the, you know, the dance scene. Um, what, what made you select which scenes? I guess what I thought, what I, I watched the movie like 20 or 30 times, I think before I started getting into this and I just, I grabbed things that stuck out at me and were like, you know, iconic moments that people are never going to forget. And when you, when you see them on the game, you know exactly what that is. And so I guess I looked for the most think the things that pop out, you know, Royale cheese was one of them, the briefcase, all of these things. Um, the gun was my idea. Um, that was just because these guys are carrying these Chrome 45 pistols, you know, I mean, pretty cool. Um, so that's kind of, that was, you know, um, I call it uh, loose theming, I guess. Very, you're very loose with a theme like this because there's so much stuff. There, it was This one was really easy because so many great moments. I mean, there, there were things that we didn't do that I kind of wish we had, but we just didn't have the space for it or the, it didn't fit, you know. Um, so like the scene in the diner at the end, I would have liked to have done a little bit more with that. We do, we do, we do allude to it within the modes, but... There's other things that are bigger than that, you know, and I guess I, I have a scale that just says, hey, where's the most memorable moment here? Where's the most memorable uh, audio? More importantly, in that movie, it was more about the audio. Where can I put that stuff and how can I make it make sense in the game? You know, I think that's part of the problem solving, too, where mm -hmm. it's like you you want to do five great things instead of 12 good things. And. You yeah. know, that does, you know, like, I think we have five modes, like we could have had 15 modes in this thing, you know, it, but it, right. it just comes down to picking what works for the game, you know, kind of just always going back to what's best for the game. So on, on Fishtails and on Indiana Jones, you have like an auto plunger feature with, with the, the fishing rod and on Indiana Jones, it's the gun. Was there ever a gun considered on Pulp Fiction or was it always you wanted just the, the, the plunge for the skill shot? There was a gun considered. In fact, I have a... I the first auto was a launch button, right? That yeah. you guys built up over there. Well, there was a pistol too. I mean, we had a we had a forty-five pistol at one point, very early. Um, but yeah, we, we thought about it. And then, of course, that was not, again, not going to fit the retro image. Was not going to fit in with everything else, you know. We do have an auto-fire mode built into the game now. So... so so you're telling me if there's a modder out there that wants to mod a 45 to the game, they could probably get away with it. <laughs> I think so. Right, Josh? We they'd, have, uh, they'd have to turn flipper launch on. Right, right now, you but, can, if the setting is, is set that way, you can press the flipper button to fire the ball. Okay. So. Possible. Factory setting, though, I believe default is off. Is that right, Josh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's what, honestly, I was showing my son. He's like, why didn't they put a gun as the plunger? I'm yeah, like, well, yeah. but I figured it was something like that. But yep. So I, I like that on the watch, you put Richie as the manufacturer. Well, I didn't do that. That was Doug. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's cool. 
You, you're now part of Pulp Fiction. How does that make you feel? I guess the other man, there is an Easter egg, Mark. Mark's the, so we have a director that for now is still Mr. Ritchie, but in the the role, there's a in the role scene modes, it, it's it goes a little fourth wall where we're actually like we're introducing these as as movie scenes rather than being in the world. And uh, Mark is is the voice of the director as you make progress during that. Right. I don't know if we asked Josh, but how did you get roped into all this? Oh, man. I just kept showing up until they <laughs> stopped me showing up. They haven't stopped <laughs> I think, uh, man, I, I, Eugene randomly talked with me about this thing, and I had no idea what was going on. I'm just sitting there just like my chin is on the ground, and it's like, how have these guys not let me know what they're doing? What the heck? And, you know, call Mark. It's like, hey, Eugene just told me. And Mark, you know, caught me up to speed. And and it was like, yeah, it, I mean, it's kind of how I've been with with pinball my my whole life, especially with, with Stern over the last, whatever, 30 years, 20 years. Uh, like, I am, I am Mr. Unsolicited Comments. So... You know, Mark sends me what he's doing, and immediately it's just like, "This would be fun. This would be fun. This would, shower thought this morning. This would be." Fun. And it's just, you know, I, I'm sure I, at some point, like Lonnie has emailed me to please stop emailing him. You know, the game's done, or bugging Dwight, or you know, bugging live and back in the day. But I just kept bugging Mark, and he was gracious enough to not ignore me. And and I think also, and I, you know, it's so great about the collaboration of this team, I think, you know, it takes a lot of courage for not, not for, not for me, cause I don't care, but for people in my position, it takes courage to present ideas to these icons of the industry mm -hmm. and hoping that they're not terrible. I'm fine if they're terrible, but I think, you know, it's a big part to, to have, you know, the, the graciousness and acceptance of the people on the other end to, you know, also be trusting enough. Like Mark can tell me that an idea isn't good and he knows, but, and there's other people that I'm sure Mark couldn't tell someone that, you know, it's like, man, how do I tell someone that this is not good? And it's like the openness of the team to be able to know that like, he's not calling me a bad person. You know, he's just explaining why something isn't going to work. And, you know, I was not kidding where, you know, a hundred rule suggestions go in and it leads to the one best answer. And it really does take, you know, we're fortunate that we had the time to get there, but none of this was like, bing, bang, boom, we got a game. We're done. Like this all is easy. It's, it's a lot of just, you know, here's something George puts it in the game. Mark's playing it. It's not working here. It's like, all right, try this, you know, what about this? That doesn't make sense. The, a, lot, a lot of just, you know, that collaborative team nature to get things to as fun as we can. And I don't think that, and I mean, I don't think, I know I've been on teams where that, that, that nurturing environment of the team just doesn't exist and it becomes a lot harder. So yeah. I, I'm really fortunate to that everyone on the team and, and on the CGC side, everyone is, is, listening it you know isn't afraid to listen isn't afraid to be wrong and is afraid to and, and isn't afraid to support someone else who's right when are these games going to be available to buy 
That's a great question. Mark and I, Mark and I are asking that ourselves. We are diligently wanting to answer that question as soon as possible, of course. Um, I'm going to guess the what the SEs are going to roll first. Is that right? I don't even know. That sounds or, that sounds right. Yeah. So that's the bill of materials that Doug's finalizing first. Given that, you know, I it, it would be too, it, it would be preemptive for me to say anything about that right now. Okay. So I think I, I think the only thing Ryan Ryan White included third. He expected it to ship third quarter of this year. So yeah. I will say. Between July 1st and September 30th, or else Ryan's a liar. That's probably a safe bet. Yeah. <laughs> hey, um, I wanted to add to what Josh was saying earlier okay. regarding um, his input and stuff. You know, me being out of the business some 27 years, um, I, and, you know, Josh alludes to it in another way, too, which is, you know, um, today's rules need to be for today's player. I'm not today's designer. So when Josh knocked on my door, that door flew up and I'm like, yeah, come on. <laughs> because he knows the rules. He knows what's hot. I, let's face it. I've been out of it a long time. And so I, I really trusted his judgment on a lot of this stuff. And I'm glad I did because the game plays really good. I'm really happy with it, you know. And I don't think that I would have come up with anything like that, certainly on my own. So he was a, he was a welcome partner. Day one. So is this mostly a play mechanics game or is this like a collaboration between you guys and CGC? Is CGC just manufacturing for you guys? Like, I, I guess, yeah. Where, where's the overlap? Where's the Venn yeah. diagram? CGC is the manufacturer. We, that was all developed here. Josh and I and George for the most part. And Scott, the four of us. We were working on this thing over the COVID months where everybody was closed up or in George's basement. You know, we moved the game to his basement and we worked there and we just kept at it, you know. We had play, play nights every Wednesday night for a year and a half. Right on. Yeah. Some of the best nights. And, you know, my teenage self was just eating this up. <laughs> you guys have was... no, no idea how excited I, I have been through this whole process just as a fan. It was fun. Was it hard for you too, Josh, juggling because you, you've been doing the Cactus Canyon continued code, you're you're doing the Pulp Fiction code, and you still have your normal day job of CFO over uh, raw thrills. I love this stuff, Josh. It's I mean it's so it, I mean it's it's stuff I think about in the shower. It's stuff I think about you know when uh, I'm driving home from work. This is just. It, I just got to do it with a group of people that I work with every day. But it's, you know, if if I'm going and play Ghostbusters and hang out with Dwight, the next few weeks is probably spent with me thinking about Ghostbusters in the car and messaging Dwight stupid ideas that he can ignore or make fun of me for. So it really is, you know, something that, I mean, I have a notebook at home filled with you know, really bad layouts and now looking back on it, really bad rules, but <laughs> it, it, it's a hobby for me. And and so for me, it's, it's, it's stuff I'd be doing for fun in my mind anyway, you know, my, my doodling fake rules for fake games that don't exist. And I think sort of, you know, Mark alluded to it earlier, but, you know, I feel like where we really, uh, 
benefited was like Doug Duba's hobby at night is to just he's like he's like he's not a mechanical engineer, but he likes to build and tinker and do things. And it's the stuff that he would do after hours anyway and, and just for fun. And, you know, he was able to apply the stuff he likes to do for fun on this project. I always feel bad because I, you know, I joke with Mark, with George, that like, those are the guys that have to do the work. This is not work for me. This is just like camp. You know, it is playtime. And I'm I'm fortunate that, that I can, I can throw some stuff that has some value at it. But like, believe me, it's all just doing it is exciting enough for me. So this is a new direction. Do we have other games that are being developed? I would say that I don't. I our core business is going to remain arcade games. Yep, sure. I can tell so, you about a couple of really cool titles coming up on that side of things. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but I guess I, I guess the ultimate question is: the door is probably not closed if there was another project to come along, right? I, yeah, I think if there are oppor- like if 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 an opportunity presents itself that lines up, if it if that's in redemption if that's in vr if that's in pinball i we'd be stupid to not look at it and evaluate it from a business decision sounds good nothing yet but you never know boys Mm -hmm. never know know. well you're always competitive i'm just saying you're trying to take down stern now and and show show up your brother sharp brother i saw he updated his resume on linkedin yesterday so Oh. It's going to be tough going for those guys over there. Did he say Josh's younger brother or Josh's superior brother? Right. <laughs> Actually, we uh, are. So we we purchased our contract manufacturer, Partech, who uh, they build a lot of Stern's harnesses for their games. So it's uh, it's in our best interest for Stern to be the healthiest they've ever been. And based on the, the president at Partech, I get, I get his books at the end of every month the uh the stern business is doing great so oh yeah we wish those guys nothing but the best yep because we we stand to benefit from their pinball's good pinball right yeah oh yeah well and they're definitely doing good and moving to a new facility man that foo fighters just came out looks great but we we won't that we're on we're on play mechanics time we're not on stern time so yeah (laughs) yeah it's a small industry we all support each other Exactly. So is this going to be at TPF? Are people going to be able to play it? That's the plan. That's the plan. Even if Mark has to throw in the back of his truck and drive it all the way down there, right? Uh... I, think, I think Doug is putting it on the back of his truck. Yeah, it won't be I think that's the current. That's the current. Uh, yeah. Doug is volunteering. Mm. Is he bringing the topper? Because that topper is a showstopper. Like what, uh, yeah. what Chicago Game Company has done with toppers, like it it makes all other toppers look pitiful compared to them. It's pretty, yeah. Uh, Doug, man. Doug's crazy bad. <laughs> yep. It's like pretty Crocodile cool. Dundee. That's yeah. not a topper. That's a topper. When are we going to see gameplay of the video? Or of the, sorry, yeah. of a gameplay video of Pulp Fiction. We're working on a stream, but it won't happen before TPF. But I would expect in April, we'll uh, we'll be working on a, on a a live stream and then uh, trying to get a game shipped out to Carl because we have a very cool uh, challenge, oh, some really? challenges for him to try to tackle in the yeah. upcoming months. Okay. So, uh, what, what's it'll some, be out there? It'll what's, be out there. 
what's something about Pulp Fiction that we should have asked you that we didn't? Or if you have like a crazy story that you can share with us about maybe licensing or something like that with it. I can, not that I can recall at the moment. I'll put it I've down. had a couple of kids since the game was started in development. That's probably the craziest thing. <laughs> I got two new cats. I saw right. <laughs> oh, I think, uh, I don't think he wasn't mentioned, but uh, David Thiel. Oh, yeah. Was, oh, yes. Yeah. I yeah, think instrumental kind of in, in, you know, we have, we have some licensed songs, but we have a lot of not licensed songs and obviously sound effects and the... I think he alluded to it in Zach's video, but like there were not clean stem. This was this this was all live boom mic recorded. Mm-hmm. So there was no can I get all of Sam Jackson's speech? Can I get that that stem? And they can send all clean speech of one character. So the amount of work he did to process out the noise, and I know we've played with it long enough that it's like you can still cut you, you like hear the keys jingling in the background or the wind or whatever. And it's just like the ability for him to process down to actually be able to like hear the speech calls, you know, the, the game is so much better for it to be able to, to focus on, on that fun and humor and the, the songs he composed that were custom. And it's like, Hey, we need a song for this mode that kind of has this kind of vibe. And it's like, here you go. It's amazing. And it's like, thanks, thanks, Dave. <laughs> you definitely have to, on the game like this, the soundtrack and the sounds, they are vital to the experience of this game. Yeah. Certainly when you have no video, it really is, Scott. Yeah. It, becomes it really is. Major, major important. Absolutely. Emphasizes just a little bit more. Like, was that a key jingle there? What, <laughs> what was that in the exactly. background? So if, fi- find the sound effect. Yeah. Someone record this off their phone. Lucky for us, Dave is extremely intuitive with, you know, what the right path, what the right thing to do, how to level and balance the sounds, I think also is a huge piece of work that he still works at. I mean, we're still working with him. We're not done. So, yeah, we're really close, but we're not done. Well, and there's a lot of, it says like 250 plus call outs. That's, that's insane. That's yeah. Yeah, you're, you're playing the whole scenes from this this movie, unless, <laughs> yeah. unless you got the bleep version, I guess, and you're you're cutting out half of it. I, I There's a lot of laughing. Yeah, right, right. A lot of laughing. I can't remember exactly what the word what the phrase is, but it's hilarious when they take the body to the cleaners. And he's like, "Do I look like a?" <laughs> I really hope that's in the game. It's in the game. Yeah. Yes. We got it all. We got all the good stuff. Yeah. I don't think we missed much. I can't think of anything we missed, Josh. You? No, no. I mean, some of the some of the stuff that we missed, you know, is unfortunate. It, like because we didn't focus on a scene in a mode, there's less of it because we did try to keep the mode stuff all in context. So I, I mean, I've seen on Pinside, there's a lot of like, oh, the game should have this speech call when you do something like this, and it's like that would be funny, but it doesn't work within the context of the the rule construct that we're doing, the story that we're telling. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that is, uh, you, you know, we we pulled out everything we could for the things that we focused on. Okay, Josh, haven't you learned that everyone is a designer and a concept artist out there? You just oh, need yeah. to accept it for it. I'm, I'm one of them, boys. This time <laughs> I just got someone to open the door. Nice. I get it. I get it. I, I, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. So you're telling me if I want a job, I need to start knocking on doors. 
Yeah. That just keep emailing incessantly, unprovoked, and eventually uh, you find someone like Mark who's nice enough to open the door. And now you're one of us, so you got to stop right. doing that stuff. That's, we, right. That's right. We please. don't go there. So if you have your suggestions for rules, please email them to Josh. Sharp. Yes. Goodbye. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. So you you guys are both going to be there at Texas. Uh, I'm I not. Okay. I'm not. I'm on spring break with the kids. I will be sneaking. Are they are the seminars on streaming from Texas? I think they normally do, right? They are, uh, yeah, yeah. They, they will be streamed. I, I will be getting yelled at by my wife while I'm watching the team up there do their thing while I'm like not yeah. watching. I, I'm hoping that they are streamed because Josh and I cannot make it to Texas this year and oh, it's killing okay. us because yeah. this is this is one of those uh, expos that you want or the festivals that you want to be to so we- it's weird it's definitely you know you have those days where like oh venus and mars are passing yeah. in the solar system every 370 years this is like oh all the nine planets are eight or i don't know if pluto exists but yeah. they're all like lined up and the next time that's going to happen is like forty thousand years from now yeah. right <laughs> Well, hopefully this is a major boost to the pinball industry and you guys decide to do it every year and uh, Texas just becomes the hot spot for it. Then There is a 0% chance there's a pinball game from Play Mechanics next year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How's that? Yeah. 0%. 0%. All right. Well, you guys heard it first. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks, Mark. And thanks, Josh, for coming on. We really appreciate it. If you want to hang out with Mark down at Pinball – or not Pinball Expo – down at Texas Pinball Festival – he will be down there. And if you want to hang out with Josh, go and knock on his door. Actually, if you want to hang out with me, find my brother, who most people think is me, and right. tap his shoulder at TPF. And just call him my name. He'll answer. I answer to Zach. He answers to Josh. It's all good. And your dad is going to be down my there. dad will be there with the moon screening. Oh, yeah, and oh, yeah. actually, yeah, on, on March 17th, I saw it's going to be released oh, yeah. on Apple TV. Two so days from now. If you haven't seen that, Go ahead and pull up Apple TV and and watch uh, watch Roger Sharp's movie. I think you'll cool. even be able to buy it via Amazon streaming as well. Yeah, Google Play, I think too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because awesome. I, I my it's funny because my wife I, I don't know how your wives are, but my wife isn't so much into pinball as much as I am. And I made her watch the Roger Sharp movie, and she loved it. And she's already getting our family ready for it to come out, and she it wants to do good. a big family night because she just that's awesome. Oh, cool. She loved it. I was like, I told it was funny because it was one of those standoffish things, right? Like, you're gonna make me watch a movie about pinball. I'm like, it's it's not about like it is pinball, but it's not. It's not. It's, it's about my parents meeting. It's not that. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not the my tutorials parents. that I force you to watch. Yeah, it's like a romantic comedy history, you know, documentary, mm-hmm. documentary, documentary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so. Well, cool. If you want to get a hold of us, we are loserkidpinballpodcast at gmail.com. You can get a hold of us on all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, now YouTube, all at loserkidpinball. Drop us a line there. It's easiest to get a hold of us on Facebook Messenger, where you hit us directly through loserkid or Scott or Josh. Um, You got anything else for us, Scott, before we hop off? Man, go to Texas. Go now. Do it for us. Let let us live vicariously through you. Mm -hmm. Send us pictures. Not those kind Thanks. of pictures, pictures of pinball machines. Yeah, no more of that, David Dennis. Don't be sending us that stuff anymore. Yeah. <laughs>
Close it down.